She was born to a religious mother and an alcoholic father in 1848. Because of her father's alcohol addiction at a young age, she was really forced to go work in the mill in Dundee, Scotland. As she's working in the mill, she's doing hard work, her education is little, and her dad would often even push her out in the streets for days at a time where she was left hungry and abandoned. Her mom, however, being the religious woman that she was, always made sure that she came to church every Sunday along with all her brothers and sisters. And it was there at church that Mary Slessor began to hear stories about missionaries, missionaries that her church supported. Her pastor would speak glowingly about these missionaries, and she'd read stories in different journals about missionary adventures all over the world. The adventures that really caught Mary's attention were the adventures in Africa. And as a little girl, she began to dream about one day going and being a missionary in Africa. And when she was a young woman, well, that's what she did. She began training to be able to go onto the mission field. Once she completed her training, well, she had read about a place in Nigeria, Calabar, Nigeria, to be precise. Calabar, Nigeria, it had this reputation as the white man's grave because many Europeans ventured in there and they never came back and so this was the place where Mary was headed and so she went and she started in a larger town in Nigeria and there in that city she began to learn the tribal languages once she had mastered the language and she was a quick student didn't take her very long then she wanted to go out and actually live in the village with all of these tribal people who just did not respect human life the life of foreigners and even the lives of the people in their own tribe. They were a people who believed in witchcraft, sorcery, and they were a people prone to murder. And this is where Mary wanted to go. Other Nigerians begged her not to go. Her mission board told her not to go. But Mary went anyway. She went and she lived in a tiny mud hut in this little tribal village. Mary would spend the rest of her life moving from village to village to village. And she would adopt all the practices of the tribal people that she could without sacrificing her faith. And as she did this, she, she would learn who they are and, and what, what their customs are. She would eat like they ate. She would dress like they dressed. She would spend time around the table just getting to know them and becoming like them all in an effort so she could introduce them to Jesus. And in doing this, Mary planted churches all over tribal villages throughout Nigeria. Mary, she died when she was 66 years old with her second bout of malaria. And when she died, it said that it was the grandest funeral that West Africa had ever seen because all of these tribal villages that were at once warring with each other now came together in unity to remember what they called everyone's mother. Because Mary, again, defying the mission board and the people, she adopted nine different Nigerian children and raised them and discipled them to love Jesus. Mary's remembered for how she went into the difficult, darkest places and brought the light of Jesus. In fact, her friend said at her funeral that even though all of Africa is weeping and wailing, there's no need to cry because Mary is with God now. 
As we continue our series, just looking at vision and what we're called to this missionary life, wherever it is that we live, work, study, and play, it's, it's interesting that of all the things Jesus could have left with us, he left us a table. You know, there is something about a table, just sitting around with people, having a meal with someone, where you really get to know who they are and who you are. You know, if you really want to know about somebody's family, all you have to do is sit down with them, have a meal with them, and you learn an awful lot. You learn a lot about who they are. You learn about who you are. In fact, if you want to know who my family is, you just come and you have a meal with us. You'll get all the secrets. It just comes out. That's what happens around a table. You laugh. You tell the stories. You get to know one another. It's where relationships are often forged. It's interesting. Of all the things that Jesus could have left us, two of the primary things he left us, well, one is his word and another is the table. It's communion. It's this idea of coming together and remembering and telling the story because in telling the stories, we learn who God is and who we are. The disciples, well, they were about to learn that again. We'll continue the story this morning in John chapter 21. We'll look at verses 4 through 14 where the disciples are again invited to come to the table. Let's check it out. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net and the full load of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish... This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Yeah, it had been a confusing couple of days for the disciples. You know, it seems like the disciples were still trying to just make sense of everything in their mind. They could not yet tell left from right, up from down. Their world was spinning. And I know we like to think that if we were there and we saw the events of the resurrection and Jesus appearing to us afterwards, well, we'd get in line. We'd know just what was going on. We'd be able to make sense of everything. Probably not. I mean, these guys, they've been with Jesus for a long time now, yet they still couldn't put it all together. Why? Because things like this just don't happen. People aren't just raised from the dead. It's hard to make sense of something like this. And yeah, this is the third time that Jesus has appeared now. And yes, they believed that he was alive, but they were still trying to determine, okay, how do we now live in light of we're serving a risen Jesus, the, the son of God raised from the dead? What are we supposed to do? do with this. 
And so the disciples, they go back to doing that which is familiar. They head back to the Sea of Galilee, back to the place where things are comfortable, back to doing what they can do in their sleep, fishing. It's Peter and it's six of the other disciples. It's the seven disciples who were fishermen. That's who's there. And they're doing the thing that they know how to do, the thing that's comfortable, the thing they could do in their sleep. They're fishing. And they're fishing, and they're fishing, and they're fishing, and yet not one fish. You ever have a moment like that where life just gets so tiring, so confusing, and you just want to escape from it all? You just want to get away and just do something that you can do in your sleep, something that really doesn't require any brain waves whatsoever. You can almost do it mindlessly. And then you start doing it, and you think, okay, this is no big deal. I can just do this, no problem. And then nothing happens. It's, it's not just going the way that you know it ought to go. I mean, this is what's happening for the disciples. They fish and they fish and they fish and yet no fish. And this isn't like the rod and reel thing where they're casting their line out there and reeling it back and casting it out. and reeling. It's not that at all. It's nets. It's weighted nets that they are throwing over the side of the boat and then they're pulling back in and they're throwing over the side of the boat and they're pulling it back in and they're throwing it over the side of the boat and they're pulling it back in and yet every time, no fish. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but I've talked to enough guys who like to fish to know that all fishermen, they have their secret spot. That place where they know, hey, if I go there, fish are always biting there. You don't tell anybody about that spot. Why? That's your spot. That's the place where you know to go. Yeah, the disciples would have tried that spot and no fish. They would have looked around. They'd have seen the spot where all the other boats were, where everyone else was catching fish. They'd have gone over there. They'd have thrown their nets in there and still no fish. They would have gone to the places where they knew fish would be and still no fish. And as if all this wasn't bad enough, now all of a sudden there's a fishing expert on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's calling out instructions to them. He even calls them children. Children, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat? Now, we don't have Peter's words in that moment. We don't know what he says and that's probably a good thing knowing how fiery Peter could be. But what we do know is the disciples, in an attempt just to shut this guy up, they go ahead and they pull their nets in and they throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And you got to believe that they just kind of mindlessly do this, right? Okay, we'll just show this guy. They throw it in. They begin to pull it back. They're not really thinking anything about it. They're just pulling it back. And then all of a sudden something happens. The rope grows tight. The net grows taunt they can't pull it in anymore and as the net grows taunt it's not just that the net is taunt now all of a sudden it's not budging not only that it's tipping their boat in a little they're beginning to take on water this is a big catch and so they're yelling there's all kinds of confusion on the boats and these aren't small boats this can tip over real fast they're getting all the disciples all seven of them you can imagine are all of a sudden pulling this net in because it's a huge haul of fish. And in the middle of all this confusion, as they're pulling this in, John looks over to Peter and says, that's got to be Jesus. He's the only one who could do something like this. It's the Lord. 
And Peter hears this and he lets go of the net and he grabs his shirt, he puts it back on and he just jumps in the water because he's swimming to shore. He wants to be with Jesus. And so he comes up along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and there he stands face to face with Jesus. We don't, we don't know what's said in that moment. There's no record of it. Perhaps nothing was said at all. Perhaps the heaviness of the moment, all they needed was just to be together together. Peter just to know that Jesus was there. Well, there was something else there. Jesus, he already had a fire going. There's a charcoal fire. We don't know how he started the fire. We don't know where the charcoal came from. We don't know where he got the fish. We don't know where he got the flour to make the bread. All we know is it was there. Jesus had everything they need. And so he says to the disciples, why don't you come? Why don't you have breakfast bring the fish that you caught and now this is the part of the story where it gets a little interesting because in talking to fishermen I've learned that fishermen really don't like to count the number of fish that they catch why because fishermen always like to tell the big fish stories you know or you can just say oh I caught a bunch it was the catch of a lifetime you should have seen all of them that I was hauling in oh so many fish you couldn't count them all well, this catch was such a spectacular catch that the disciples wanted to make sure that they had it documented, that they knew exactly how many fish that they had caught. And so we get the detail. 153 large fish were hauled in. This is no joke. This was quite the catch. So Jesus, he invites them over to breakfast, sit down, eat. And Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it to them. Wasn't there another story where Jesus broke the bread and handed it to his disciples? Do you remember that time? Oh, it wasn't too long ago for the disciples, maybe just a week or two before when Passover was happening and Jesus had the disciples in that upper room and he took the bread and he broke it and he handed it to his disciples and he was teaching them who he was. You see, the time around the table, you're able to remember the stories. Oh yeah, I'm sure this story came flooding back and the disciples were remembering this is Jesus. There was that time in the upper room. He, he kind of told us what would happen. He was preparing, for all, preparing us for all these events. He was getting us ready. This is Jesus. Time around the table helps you know who God is. And so after that, Jesus breaks the fish and he hands them the fish. Wasn't there another time when Jesus broke bread and fish? Do you remember that? When, when Jesus, he took a loaf of bread and a couple small fish, just a little boy's lunch, and he used it, he broke it, and he fed thousands. And how did he do it? Oh, he called the disciples over. He made sure that he had the disciples seat the people in large groups. And as they're seated in these different groups, what does Jesus do? He breaks the food. He gives it to the disciples. You can imagine they had these baskets and they go to these groups and they stick their hand in the basket and they feed the people. How many times would the disciples have had to stick their hand in the basket to feed those groups? How many times did they have to go in there and grab that next piece of bread and grab that next piece of fish. How many times would the disciples have had to stick their hand in the basket until they realized this is Jesus and he has everything I need for life and ministry. 
You see, this time around the table, the disciples, they begin to recall these stories, I'm sure. They begin to remember all these things that God has done. They, it's the time around the table where they remember who they are. The time around the table, it teaches us that. It's who we are. It's, it's where we fit. It's that Jesus would allow us to be a part of it. He has everything we need, and yet he invites us to be a part of it anyway. Oh, these stories and so many more. I'm sure they were just talking. They were remembering. Oh, do you remember the time when this happened? Do you remember when that happened? Oh, wasn't it great when this happened? And the stories begin to come up. Perhaps the disciples are laughing again. They're ready to live again. Ready to do what they've been called and prepared to do again. It's the time around the table that can help forge that relationship and solidify who you're made to be. There's something else about gathering together for a meal. there's, There's something about the table. When you're in circles, not in rows. We're able to look somebody in the eye and just laugh and just talk and just share. There's, there's something about the food, something about just being together that really does help you remember who you are and who God is. This is who he is. This is his story. This is who I am. This is how I fit into it. You know, the Bible, it's full of stories of God eating with his people. If you look, you'll see all of a sudden, God is eating with his people again. This is what he does. You remember Abraham? Abraham, God shows up and Abraham, what does he do? He rushes off, he prepares a feast. And there is God, it's it's there that God tells him, you're going to have a son. You're going to become, I'm going to use you to become a mighty nation. Elijah, he's on the run. He's being chased down, threatened by Jezebel. And he runs until his legs can't run anymore. And he collapses in the wilderness, passes out. And then he comes back when he smells the smell of these bread cakes. And he sees this jar of nice cold water that an angel had prepared for him. It's as as if God says to Elijah, just like a caring parent would to a son, I know just what you need. Here's the nourishment you need to keep on going. You don't have to do this alone. There's that psalm. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 23, David, you you can imagine he's looking around and he's seeing everything that's going on. And he's got enemies here and enemies here and enemies there. And David's just crying out, God, I need you to show up. I'm walking through the valley of death here. I need you to lead me. I need you to comfort me. You got to show me what to do here. There's enemies everywhere. Come on, God, I need you. And then God shows up and God says, hey, David, let's eat. And David's looking around like, well, I got enemies here. There's enemies here. There's enemies there. What what, what do you mean? Let's eat. And God prepares a table for him in the presence of his enemies, letting David know, I've got this. I can get to all them later. We just need to have this time around the table. One of the greatest scandals in all the New Testament is the fact that Jesus with sinners. I mean, the religious leaders, the people of the day, they couldn't get over it. Jesus, how are you hanging out with people like that? How are you going to people like that? This doesn't make sense. And then there's that moment that we all look forward to, that great moment described in the book of Revelation when God calls all of his children home to a banquet, to the table, to sit around and to eat together. Oh, behold, I stand at the door 
and knock, the Bible promises. If any will open the door, then I will come in and eat with him and he with me. See, it's throughout the scriptures. Why? Because there is something about being around the table, about being in a circle where you're able to look in the eye, hear the stories, tell the stories, and remember who God is and who you are. Yeah, this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples. The first time we talked about last week, it was to 10 of them. Thomas wasn't there. The second time Jesus appears, Thomas is there too, and it's to the 11. And now this time, there's seven. There's just seven of them. It's the seven fishermen. And yeah, there was that story too, wasn't there, when Jesus was walking along those same shores, the same Sea of Galilee, and he sees these guys And he says, hey, come, follow me. And it was there that these guys, they left their nets, they left their families, they left their businesses, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. (laughs) You know, sometimes we look at that story of the rich young ruler when Jesus makes this offer to the guy to be his disciple, and he tells him, hey, you just have to leave it all, sell it all, then you can come follow me. And we like to think, oh man, Jesus, he's really trying to prove a point to this guy. He's really trying to, you know, wake this guy up. You realize it's the same invitation that he gave to all the disciples. He's not giving the rich young ruler anything different than he gives to those disciples than he gives to you and me. It's always a call to leave everything. Jesus does not want to be added to your nets He does not want to be just added to the busyness of your life, to the franticness of your life. He doesn't want just a chair at the table at Matthew's tax collector's booth. He wants to be seen as all in all. He wants everything. And when the rich young ruler says, I can't do that, Jesus let him go. But these guys, these fishermen, They had left it all. They had dropped their nets. They had left their businesses. They had left their families. They had left it all. And Jesus, he's reminding them of all that too. See, all too often, like the disciples, when things get confusing, when life gets tiring and life gets hard, we tend to want to revert back to someplace that's comfortable. Some place that we think is safe, just doing something that we don't even really have to think about. That's what the disciples are doing. They've gone back to this mindless place where they've thrown in these nets a million times. They know just what to do, just where the fish will bite. But you know what God does? He wakes them up to the fact that you can't do this life without me. You can't live a life of any type of meaning, of any type of significance, of any type of purpose or value without me, that I really do have everything you need. And that when you left those nets and you left your families and you left your businesses all that time ago, well, that was the best decision you made in your life because I have everything you need. And he tells us the same thing, that he's got everything we need. You know, Jesus, he extends the same offer to you to join him at the table, just it's, it's why the invitation to communion is given in scripture. That we gather together and then also we take communion. Because we, we sit around the table and we're reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And then what that ought to produce in our lives, this life of mission. Because it's who we are, it's not just what we do. See, could it be that we've 
never really found ourselves in a place like Elijah where we're just out in the wilderness and we need God to show up with those bread cakes and with some water to nourish us because, well, we never really get out into the wilderness. We just like to stay where it's safe and comfortable. Could it be that we've never had that time like David where we're just crying out and saying, Lord, I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death right here. We've, we feel like we're surrounded by enemies. Could it be like we're, we've never really been surrounded by enemies because we just want to stay with our friends where it's safe? Could it be that we never have anybody say to us, oh, look who you're hanging out with. I can't believe that you're hanging out with them. Because we don't really eat with sinners. We don't really invite them to our table. See, could it be that we've never really had to reach our hand into the basket and see God do just amazing things that we know we could never do on our own? Because we've never really tried to do it with him. We've always kept to ourselves. See, sometimes we get so comfortable that we come to a church building And we invest our lives in serving here. And there's Jesus calling out to us. Will you cast your nets on the other side of the street? Will you go to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your friends? Will you share Jesus? Will you impact people? Will you make disciples? Will you invite them to have a seat at the table? Because there's something about a table where you gather around in a circle and you look one another in the eye and you begin to share your stories, that you learn who they are, you learn who you are, you reflect on who God is. You know, that's what Mary did, wasn't it? Mary Slessor, she went to the deepest, darkest jungles in Nigeria to difficult tribes. She left her comfortable missionary house in the city and she went to live in mud huts to sit around the table to eat with sinners to get to know them. Oh, she did that because that's just what her Savior did. He went and he came here for us and now he invites us to do the same. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've extended to us this invitation that you, the Holy One of the Holy God, would invite us to sit at the table, to be a part of the family, to learn who you are, and to discover who you made us to be. May we invite others to the table. We need your help to do that, so we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.